welcome to AOJ Cast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Martha Ames Sanders. On this episode, part one of our conversation with Yanni Davis. Yanni is a pastor, activist, and hip-hop artist, and she spoke with me from her home in California. Yanni Davis, welcome to AIJ Cast. Thank you so much. Uh, feels good to be here uh, <laughs> after what, maybe three years of not being able to connect and collaborate. <laughs> yeah. Well, you and I first connected through our mutual friend, Maisha Handy, Pastor Kay at Rise Community Church. We have this shared background in the Presbyterian Church. I'd love to hear about how faith and Growing up in that church life, and you're you're a PK, you're a pastor's PK. kid, and how that shaped you in your sense of call and in going into ministry as a pastor, or maybe how it pushed you away from that and then you came back to it. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. So, actually, going back to uh, my, my my maternal mother's father, uh, my grandfather, who was a bishop in Bermuda. Mm. Um, so I remember as a child always watching him, witnessing him. Uh, fiery, fiery short guy, but, you know, would, would bring it, you know, and they called him the cowboy preacher on the island because <laughs> he always wore a cowboy hat. Oh, wow. You know, so people are like, why do you wear these hats? And, you know, I guess it's an ode to him. Um, so you're talking about the hats that you wear. You are you are known for having quite the taste in hats. I look, I love my hats. Some people is shoes, some people is bags, T-shirts, me. Hats. It's those hats. And it's grandpa. Grandpa, yep, coming through. So fast forward, uh, my parents meet. Uh, they've been married for 50 years now. And uh, my dad, he was uh, in school, Nyack College, you know, studying to be a minister, to be a pastor, leader in the church. My mom um, and my dad connected. Uh, my mom uh, was the executive director of a daycare for about 40 years. Wow. Um, and my dad has had uh, the church and been the pastor of a Presbyterian church for about 43 years now. Um, so growing up as a PK, uh, I mean, from the time I could talk, you know, I was in front of the congregation sharing poetry or singing some song or reading scripture or saying a prayer. Uh, and they always talk about how I was the child that always, you know, volunteered to pray or volunteered to step up and do the thing. Okay. And I guess that, that kind of followed me. So you weren't the stereotypical, uh, pastor's kid making trouble and living under the glare of the, the lights or as far yeah. as everybody knew, maybe. Well, there's some kind of phrase that uh, uh, angels are, you know, rebels that never get caught or something like that. So maybe it was a both end situation. I love that. So you grew yeah. up in the church. You grew up involved in church. And at some point you said, I want to pursue education, this call to be a pastor, to be a minister. Yep. So what happened is... Um, when I was in college, I discovered a church, First African, uh, in Latonia, Georgia. Yeah. And attended First African, you know, figured it was maybe some non-denominational, communal situation. This is Mark Lomax. Yes, Dr. Mark, Mark Lomax. Lomax. Come to find out, First African was a Presbyterian church. And literally, I just had to switch my membership. So check this. Come to find out, Dr. Mark Lomax was the speaker when I went to Triennium 10 years prior. This is the the big youth conference that the PCUSA has every three years. Yes, massive conference in um, Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Yeah. 
So I don't know, my life just kind of came full circle. And I was like, oh, I can stay in a Presbyterian church and, you know, I can figure out what it means to be, you know, authentically uh, black and Christian and, you know, mm. kind of wrestle with these intersections. Yeah. And so there was a lot of freedom there. I really discovered who I was as a person of faith um, and a leader in the community. Mm. So... Next thing you know, uh, Dr. K, uh, my pastor, my friend, my mentor, reaches out and is like, I have this idea for starting a church all about the arts, all about creativity, all about justice. And I was like, oh, yes, I would like to help with this. <laughs> so being uh, a leader and a minister there, it kind of hit me. Mm. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Mm. Had the opportunity um, through uh, chopart.org, um, was able to travel to India mm. and serve as um, an arts director there, implementing an arts curriculum from the States. And I had a lot of time to just sit and be and soak in that Indian energy. Mm. And really got clear that seminary was the next step. So growing up in a black Presbyterian church and then moving to Atlanta to go to Spelman and yes. then attending First African, which is also a black Presbyterian church, but in a very different kind of way. What was it about First African that you found different, um, compelling? What was it about it that spoke to you in that moment? For sure. So First African describes itself as an Afrocentric Christian ministry. And I had never really been exposed to that, mm -hmm. where these worlds of Afrocentricity and these worlds of deep faith and belief and trust in God uh, was mixed with following Jesus, was also mixed with, you know, understandings of our ancestors mm. and 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 going back looking back you know this principle of sankofa looking back to our history to figure out you know where we are today and where we're pressing forward to mm. so that was the beauty of first african for me that there wasn't this uh separation of who I am and the different uh, parts of me. It was a coming together and a understanding of what it means to be connected body, mind, and spirit. Mm -hmm. um, what it means to be connected to my ancestors and to my roots yeah. while still living into my Christian identity. So that was a lot of the power there for me. It strikes me, this is something as, as a white guy growing up in the U.S. that I've only recently started to become aware of, is that churches that say you can't be cultural centric and Christocentric are saying so because the culture in those churches is predominantly white already. Right. So they're already cultural centric. They're just not identifying themselves as such. Exactly. Um, I've experienced a lot of churches with, um, and, and even the church I work in right now is predominantly basically all white, yeah. but they realized they wanted to do something different. And so they brought me in mm. to kind of help navigate that. But, um, I've been in plenty of monolithic homogenous, uh, white spaces. And when they see me, they kind of have to step back a second, you know, kind of pause, kind of say, wait, where where is this element within our reality mm -hmm. you know a lot of churches i find are are talking diversity are talking intersectionality are talking inclusivity but they don't know how to go about it yeah 
I think a lot of my role has been as a sort of a liaison mm. because I think I talk to white people really well. Like mm. I communicate with white people really well. Mm. And some people don't have that gift. And I recognize I do. Huh. And so as a change agent, as a minister, as a pastor, as someone um, doing work outside of church as well, right. I'm able to kind of bridge those gaps and make sense of that that reality, that homogenous reality for people um, in terms of, hey, look, let's honor this other space that we can create. Let's honor really <laughs> being open and available to people. Yeah in a way that perhaps th these churches haven't been in the past. So it's, it's, it's cool serving in that way yeah. and being like, Hey, I'm coming with love. I'm coming with compassion. I'm coming with care. I'm coming with truth. Nice to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's an interesting remark. You said that, you know, you, f you feel like you've got a gift for being able to talk with white folk. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you think that is? What do you think it takes to do that? Why do you think that that's a gift that you have in particular? What has shaped you in that way, do you think? Yeah, well, um, definitely my upbringing. My parents made sure I was exposed to everybody, all types of cultures, all types of ethnicities, all types of backgrounds um, from elementary school hmm. you know i remember having friends that were you know white hispanic indian just everybody um uh, and they talk about how queens is i think the most diverse you know city in america hmm. so there was some beauty in growing up in that that melting pot you know hmm. to use traditional terms and so from there i think i just developed a love for people you hmm. know whether black white you know, wh wherever you come from, mm. being able to recognize the humanity in people. My father was a great example. You know, his his term was lead the people in love. Mm. And so from from picking up on that and then um, I was a, a Catholic school attendant for many years um, and predominantly white. So showing up in those spaces also and having to navigate who I am, yeah. uh, what my identity is, but also be in relationship with um, predominantly white people. Yeah. Um, it, it grew me. It stretched me. It, it taught me a lot. Whereas my village back home was all black. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my aunties and my uncles and my cousins at church that raised me, you right. know, that loved me through and through. It was all black. So I've, I've learned to navigate uh, how to be authentically myself mm. and show up in these spaces um, well. You, you exude a kind of openness, I think, uh, that that is part of what you're talking about. There's a there's a I, I you and I have never met in person. We have been Facebook friends for four years, years. now, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and. I have seen you in those spaces as somebody who is very confident in yourself and very open and welcoming, I think, for mm -hmm. lack of a better word. So welcoming to folk. Uh, and I think that you, you exude that even in spaces, spaces on social media. So I think that does say something about who you are. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, look. Everybody needs to get this healing. So let's mm. let's figure it out. Mm. You know, I, and one thing I think is that a lot of conversations around race and identity are happening in separate rooms. Right. They're happening in segregated spaces. Yeah. Church is the most segregated place right, right. <laughs> you could you could ever go to. 
I'm just trying to bring us together, yeah. you know, in some some capacity. Yanni Davis on AIJCast. We'll be back to more of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a quick word. In the midst of COVID-19, we are doing our best to keep our links with our artists up to date. Many of them have had to cancel in-person performances and have found a way to continue doing those by streaming online via Facebook and Instagram and other platforms. Churches too have moved to online and virtual worship services. We will do our best to keep all of those links up to date. In the meantime, I do encourage you to visit our shop on our website where you can support our artists by purchasing their work. I also have a couple of preaching dates coming up on July 19th and August 2nd. Those will likely be online, but are still to be determined. Keep an eye on our calendar for more information. You can find out all of these things and more by visiting our website, AIJCast.com. And now back to more of our conversation with Yanni Davis. I do want to talk about Beloved San Diego, which is a church where you're on staff as, as a pastor. Yes. Um, and you have mentioned how it's a predominantly white space and that it when you have noticed in predominantly white spaces that are trying to be inclusive, diverse, these are lovely buzzwords. Yes. Uh, but there's often a challenge to that. There's some stumbling blocks. And you see that that's part of your work at Beloved San Diego is to help curate that, to help nurture that, I assume, as part of what you're doing. Yes. What, tell us about Beloved San Diego, and I would love to hear you talk about some of those challenges, those stumbling blocks to those very lofty goals like diversity and inclusion. Yeah, so at Beloved, we're all about grace, inclusion, and compassion. And so that has been their thing even before I got there. They've been around for about four or five years. And they're an, un, they're an unapologetically inclusive community, particularly when it comes to LGBTQIA-identified yes, yes. folks. Absolutely. Um, open and affirming yeah. uh, through our denomination, even, uh, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Okay. So... Um, I think that the element of compassion that they have is what leads to uh, their desire for inclusion and, and bringing folks together. They're a community that's not afraid of hard truths, of sitting with, uh, sitting with these alternate ideas and realities around how people are living in the world. Mm. They're not so caught up in the, this notion of, you know, white is right and everything else kind of gets left behind. Mm. And so that's really what I appreciate. Now, of course, it's a, it's a struggle to sort of create this, this beloved community, if you will, because, um, people have never experienced it before, mm. right? And so sometimes people are afraid of a new thing or aren't ready for a new thing or aren't prepared. Mm. Um, and I think that's what I appreciate about Beloved. They were mm. prepared. They mm. had created space. They had done the work to make sure that someone like me could be in leadership mm -hmm. and it not be some, oh, we could never, you know, follow this 30-something millennial, you know, black, <laughs> black person. Mm. And so that's always um, important to me, mm. feeling like there's space for me to be myself and show up well and authentically. And Beloved had done that work through mm. workshops, through uh, trainings around race, to anti-racism work, to pro-reconciliation work. And I also think that it's the leader that kind of takes the mantle to make sure that these changes and these shifts and transitions are happening, mm. that the new thing is always being, you know, explored and looked at. Mm. Uh, and so 
I always say that with beloved, I feel like I'm an answered prayer for them and they're answered prayer for me Wow! in a lot of ways, because I've been in spaces where churches weren't ready. Uh, but as, they might be using the same buzzwords, right? Yes, absolutely. And so I've witnessed that too, where mm. it's literally, I've gotten fired mm. <laughs> because of it just leadership styles being completely different. Yeah. And me not agreeing with, you know, all white leadership in the midst of buzz, 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 buzz. <laughs> you know, where's yeah. the action? Where's the truth to it? Where's the reality? Where's the hitting the ground? Where's the ministry work that that really speaks to all people? Yeah. So I'm grateful for the space that beloved has for me. There, I've noticed a particular challenge in organizations that have tried to shift when their DNA, their founding reality wasn't what they were aspiring for, um, right. particularly around this idea of racial inclusion and equity that predominantly white spaces often will start with this stated goal for inclusion, but don't wait until they actually have it before launching. Right. And so to shift, instead of building with it from the very get-go, those are two very different approaches, one of which takes a lot of patience to wait until you're actually there. Yeah. Uh, and the other, the big shift is it, it often really does feel like that that huge turning of the the aircraft carrier as opposed mm -hmm. to the little sailboat, right? If I think about uh, the churches that I've helped to plant, yeah. um, very, very different in their experience and their reality and, and even the mission and vision of the churches. So when we started Rise with uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Handy, um, we were creating an Afrocentric Christian ministry. So. Right we remain true to that. You yeah. know, what does uh, libation mean? What does right. liberation mean for black people? What does justice work in the community look like? Yeah. How do we remain disciplined uh, in the midst of a society that doesn't always look to black people to excel? Right. Right. So there was that. Um, and then another church that I helped plant um, uh, was, was an all white space. Um, and, I think the issue for me is that you can be in all white space uh, if you're going to listen and be available to other people's realities. Yeah. Great. We can we can run with predominantly whiteness as long as there's openness. Right. As long mm -hmm. as you accept other people's truths, you know. Um, and so when you come up against people not accepting your truth. Right you don't feel safe enough to invite others to come and be in this space. Right, right. But if you're in a space where compassion, deep compassion and deep love um, and deep sincerity is at the core, come on over, friends. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's create a new reality altogether. Yeah, and I think it also takes that hard work of examining why isn't this space as diverse as we want it to be and being able to recognize that there might be some explicit or implicit reasons why that's the case, yeah. that it might be because the leadership is all white. It might be because the musicality leans more towards a Western European uh, aesthetic, the, the models of leadership, all of those things. Yep. When you are 
a white person, like you said, these, these conversations are happening in separate rooms Mm -hmm. because when you're white in this country, your relationships tend to be predominantly with white folk. And so when you're starting a community, that's who you're going to reach out to. Yep. And it sounds to me like what you, when you describe beloved San Diego, that may be the case racially at the same time, they have done some of the hard work of genuinely asking the hard questions and being open to what those might say. Is that a fair assessment? Very fair. Even, uh, I was in a previous assignment, uh, with the church and as I was checking out what beloved was doing, I kind of got, um, maybe not jealous, but you know, my eyes were kind of set on what they were up to in terms of being church outside of the church. We do not have a location. We Mm. don't have a, a A building edifice brick and mortar. Yeah. And so the way that they were navigating the San Diego area Mm. and their offerings, I'm looking like, hold up, what's going on over there. And a few months later, uh, actually had the opportunity to to come on board with Beloved. Wow. And it, it made so much sense at the time. They had uh, reached out to me, even before I came on with Beloved, mm. reached out to me because they came up with this idea called Slam the Silence. Mm. And okay, cool. They were going to run with talking about mental health, just like they did the year before. Mm. But they were like, wait, 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 we have someone in the denomination that is a poet that, you know, can help uh, bring this artistic element to slam the silence so that it's even more creative, so that it's speaking to a different generation, that is speaking to a different group of people culturally. Mm -hmm. So they brought me on for that event and we were navigating that. And they found out that, you know, I I didn't have a position. I was just, you know, kind of waiting around for the next thing God was going to do. And they gave me a call one day and were like, hey, Yanni, we've been sitting with this and we would like to bring you on. Wow. So the relationship was already there. The rapport was already there. I had already been checking them out in terms of what they were doing. They had been following what I was up to. So... It, it was a, a great coming together. And even now, you know, last week I was able to do a Good Friday event um, entitled Seven Last Poems, mm-hmm. where I bought poets in um, and singers in and a DJ in to reimagine what Good Friday looks like, mm. you know, versus, you know, some seven minute sermons. What does it look like when we let the poets speak? You know, when we listen to the poets, what truth is emerging? So. Yeah. I'm just grateful they got the space. I was like, I want to do a thing. And they were like, great. Wow. Let's go. Wow. Well, and it sounds like part of what you have been able to do there is to bring, again, that fullness of yourself as a pastor and as an artist, a a hip hop artist, a musician. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear about that, uh, whether you're talking at Beloved San Diego or just your approach to hip hop music to slam poetry to art in general sure so if we take it back in time to high school i talked about going to catholic school yeah freshman year i had an assignment to do something creative around the 10 commandments so i'm listening to the radio and back in that day you kind of had to press record on the tape deck as you were like trying to (laughs) record a song oh yeah so then i would go from there and i'd I'd take out the big you know 10 by 5 tape recorder that my dad would would you know record his his thoughts for his sermons on 
and then I put the tape in and then I press the, the big red button to record. Anyway, freshman year in, in <laughs> high school, I had an assignment around the Ten Commandments, basically pulled a song off off the radio via the tape deck and recorded something about the Ten Commandments what? from there. Um, my dad asked me to do something about Esther and I was like, uh, she's off the heezy for cheesy. Everything I do, Lord, it goes to praise thee. <laughs> Radical the way that you came and saved me, you know. That's awesome. It's off the heezy for sheezy. Um, so that that was the era of hip hop. Yeah. Um so I guess I found myself on like the underground holy hip hop scene in New okay. York. Okay. And kind of navigated that well. A lot of older, you know, folks that had been doing hip hop in the church took me under their wing. And at the age of 14, had the opportunity um, through some other Presbyterian churches to head overseas and serve as like a teaching artist, you mm. know, or, you know, a, a loose definition of missionary, maybe, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, of course, my views on mission have changed. These were sure, short-term sure, trips. Sure, but yeah. at the time, you know, serving as a missionary on behalf of the church, yeah. sharing poetry, sharing words, sharing my life, um, limited in the amount of my faith that I could share because um, in a lot of these European countries, religion, you know, it's, it's yeah. 2%, it's 1%. Yeah. So getting to share my life, though, in mm. a very real way. And I remember coming back from... Uh, one of these trips, the thought came to me, this is what I will be doing for the rest of my life. Mm. Mm. Um, and so it just kept evolving. I got to college. I got to Atlanta. I started performing at the open mics. Uh, Thursday night, they had an event on campus called Jasmine's Cafe, like mm. open mic at Jasmine's. And through there, you know, folks are seeing me, witnessing my gift. And I even remember... Um, I don't know if you remember the uh, Sugar Hill in the underground, just a club that was yeah. in the underground. Yeah. And I was maybe 18 and a half and you're supposed to be 21 to be in the underground. And I remember, you know, having to dodge security and like my, my friends having to take me around the back to like sneak me into the right, venues. Right, right, Um, And it was just great because uh, it, sort of exploded i was able to open for some really major artists mm. uh in atlanta and the hip-hop thing just kept going yeah and it originated because i was like my friends aren't going to read a book i write they're not really interested in like listening to sermons but i got an idea mm. and it just kept evolving yanni davis on aij cast you can connect with her online through her website who is yanni y-a-n-i.com my supa, S-U-P-A, naturallife.com, and on social media at Yanni, Y-A-N-I, means peace. On our next episode, part two of our conversation with Yanni Davis. AI Jake is made possible through the support of listeners like you. These are difficult times, and if you are able to contribute even just a few bucks, we would greatly appreciate it. You can find out more at our website, AIJCast.com. Just click on the link that says support. And we are there on a multitude of platforms where our handle is AIJCast. You might want to check out our YouTube channel, where we recently posted a satirical video about virtual choirs. Our theme song is written and recorded by the band Mard Fame. Photography support comes from Ely at ELEYphoto.com. By the way, we posted a really cool narrative photo shoot and collaboration between Ely and illustrator Rachel Eleanor. Check it out on our website. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by the president of the Yahoo Serious Fan Club, Al Mudif. 
Al has been hard at work on his quarantine apiary and has this to say about it. Buzz, 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 buzz. And I'm your host, Marthame Sanders, encouraging you to stay put and create some beauty of your own. Peace. Mm-hmm.